Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 34. This is the Lord's word. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being that God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a man and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone. On this cold, cold uh, fall day, uh, I think next week is uh, daylight saving. Times get reversed, so fall back, that means we gain an hour of sleep. College students, you won't feel it because an hour doesn't mean anything to you guys. But for the rest of us mortals, that hour will be like a blessing. So uh, praise God for the wisdom of man in that. Here as we continue to explore Acts chapter 17, we get a picture and a beautiful picture of how God engages the unbelieving world. And this picture is something that we here as Christians today can learn from. For we still live in that same unbelieving world. A world that does not recognize God. A world that does not even recognize the fact that, that there is a creator. And a world that sees Jesus as simply either a myth or just another man 
who spewed good words to other men. But we here at this church believe in our hearts that Jesus was no ordinary man, that he was the Son of God. We believe that he deserves all praise, honor, and worship. We believe that he is the only one to be feared, the only one that we need to answer to. That is to him that our lives belong. And there's something in us that happens when the Spirit of God enters into our our lives. Not only do we feel peace in our relationship with God, but there is this desire to love people and to share the good news with all. Last week we learned in Genesis chapter, I mean, sorry, in Acts chapter 17, that Paul himself, when he was walking through Athens, that he perceived and he saw all the idols that are around him and how people were worshiping all of these idols. And his spirit was provoked by seeing it. He couldn't help but look at it and I believe see the dishonor of all these idols. To see that that only God himself deserves all praise and worship. That God was somehow being chipped of the glory due to him and it provoked him. His desire to see God's name in lights. His desire to hear the angels and the people sing praises to him overtook him. He could not be silenced. As we saw in the scriptures, right, the the sum of the Ten Commandments is simply to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And we see that God's love, I mean, Paul's love for God with all his heart and mind is what provoked him. And for us as God's people, we often forget that one of the reasons why we share the good news is when God is dishonored. For we want God to be honored. I still remember in my college days when, when there was this one time of, of clarity in my mind, and hopefully maybe Emory students, you, this will jive with you. I remember walking across campus and I remember these two um, um, aspects of, of the law, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, to, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It sort of collided together. I was walking from our, our main dining hall all the way from the north part of campus all the way to the south side of campus. Now as I was walking, huge green where, where the first day of spring, you saw the cherry blossoms and, and then you saw the people just on the, on the green with their blankets and they're reading and they're playing frisbee and they're laughing and they're enjoying life and as I was walking down there was there was this impression that God gave me and a sadness that God gave me the first was looking at these people and going they don't know you here they are enjoying what you have given 
the creation around them, the joy of fellowship with other people, the joy of playing Frisbee. They don't know you. And they don't honor you. And my mind at the same time was, was saddened that, that these people need to know Jesus and I need to share the good news. Mary with the, with the thought that God's, God's name is being dishonored for they don't recognize the good gifts that you have given them. And I recall walking halfway, all I could do was simply pray for my campus as I walked. Paul here, his experience in Athens to me is likened to that. Remember last week, you know, he's provoked, but his pro- the provocation of seeing idolatry didn't lead Paul into being angry or being judgmental or to sort of leave, the, leave that vicinity or say, you know what, they're all just going to be judged, I don't care, or even worse, not even to think about God in the midst of where, they, where he's at. But God's love for him and his love for God broke his heart. And we know that his response to his people is loving by this passage we have here today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. When you see worship everywhere. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love them in such a way that they see the glory of God and worship him. So what was his message? What's his message? Hey, all of you, you're going to be judged unless you change. Hey, all of you, what is your problem? He wasn't combative. But he was winsome. He was careful. He understood the people in Athens. He understood the culture and the environment. And then he engaged. And we have here this report, this, this speech recorded here in Acts chapter 17. And this passage is, is so rich, um, but Let's see if we can sort of see the major threads that run from here. He says first in verse 22, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him, 
and find him. What does, what, what does Paul appeal to? Paul surveys the world, surveys the, uh, the, the city of Athens, and he makes a very astute observation. He says, you're all religious people. I see that. I see that you worship idols. I see that there's something about you that longs to have answers about this world. I see that some of you are, are looking for what it means to have knowledge, what it means to love, what it means to have meaning in this world. I see some of you are wrestling with, with what it means to have bodily pleasures or whether to, to subdue them or engage in them. I see that some of you are wrestling with ethics, what it means to be good or what is good, what is evil. And I see that as you try to figure out these answers humanly, that you realize that there's something bigger than humanity. And as he walks around, he sees this one idol that says to the unknown God. Now, the Greeks welcomed all gods. You worship God, this guy worships another God, so let's just all bring them together and let's worship them all, all together. But Paul sees the opportunity, an unknown God, and approaches them and says, I know who this unknown God is. And let me tell you about it. Brothers and sisters, there is a huge point of contact that we have with this world to share the good news of Christ with. Paul was very perceptive in surveying the city of Athens and seeing that they were religious and seeing that there was this, this object that said to the unknown God and he seized upon it. For us, as God's people living in this world, you have to understand that there are signs everywhere that point to our creator. That there are signs everywhere of people longing to understand their place in this universe. And that our duty and our duty as Christians is not simply to walk through them and go, oh, that was really interesting. That's philosophically very challenging to walk away. but it's to engage in conversation about all of these things that come our way. Last Monday, I um, had the, I guess, I guess it is a privilege to, to see Blade Runner with uh, Andy and Eric, and um, two hours and 50 minutes long. This was a long movie, but it's, um, it was one of my favorite movies, the first one, I guess it was 35 years ago. And the basic question of, of that movie is simply, what does it mean to be human? Are these replicants or androids? Are they human because they give mercy? 
and is giving mercy and, and honoring life, does that make something human? And, and, and you know, you, you, you can go down that road and talk about what does it mean to be human? Are you telling me that that is not the world longing to understand their place? That that creative mind who wrote that script and all these scripts that we see on TV, that people are not longing to understand this world? The miracle of medicine. I still remember, you know, my father is a, is a, is a doctor, and I still thought that medicine was this scientific thing where you just do one thing and the person is healed. You give them this drug, this person gets well. And as you get older and everyone here, we, we know that there's some causation, but there's a lot of stuff we don't understand about the human body. Why is it sometimes that the human body can experience such trauma and still survive? And yet sometimes just a little virus, people pass away within hours. People, what, what, what is life? How does the human body sustain itself? What is the role of someone's will to live? And why do people have that will to live? Why do we talk about quality of life when, when people get to that age where, where we're talking about do not resuscitate when someone has a, a, an epic incident in their life? Are they not cries? that God has put into creation for us as Christians to wake up and to say, God is alive. To a world that needs to hear the proper response, the right answers to who our God is. Paul seizes upon that out of love for the people, out of love for God. Brothers, this is the first thing for all of you. Whatever your field you are in, medicine, education, you guys like watching movies. All things scream that God is here. Are you listening? Or are we deaf? Let's pray that God opens our ears to all of those things. Paul's arguments are very simple. He simply proclaims what is the worldview of the believer? And he shares with them. This is the way we explain all the phenomenon that we see. Number one, that God is the creator God. 
there's a distinction between the creator and creation. That the creator himself made all things that we have. That he's the one who gives to us everything that we need to live and to subsist. That we're not alone in this world. That's why you long to worship someone or something. That's why you long to have answers that are outside of humanity or transcendent. There's a God that made you. And this God is holy. And this God is good. Psalm 19 says, all of creation declares the glory of God. All, everything. And what you are seeing, my friends out there, is you're seeing the handiwork of God in all things. A second thing that he, that, that Paul does that, that I really enjoy, and just touched upon this as well, is that Paul searches out deeply into the hearts of people and senses what their longings truly are. And he quotes two of their Greek poets in verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being, and for we are indeed his offspring. To be an effective lover of people, to share the gospel well, you have to know people and know their hearts and know what they long for. And rightfully so, you will find that everyone longs not to be God, but to have a good God that they can give their lives to. Now you can coach that in any language. They want love. They want meaning. They want freedom. They want to be known. But none of those can be answered by anything in this world except for God, who is outside of this world. Have you ever engaged with people in such a way that you know the longings of their hearts? And as you do, you share with them that God is the only one who can fill that longing. I really enjoyed one of the things at the um, at the um, CCF conference that they kept repeating that that is so true and and it's and it, it resonates with our culture today is and they said they, they, they said these couple of phrases they said you know uh, marriage doesn't solve loneliness singleness doesn't solve, singleness doesn't necessarily mean that you're lonely. And having kids doesn't solve loneliness. That only God can solve it. 
powerful those words are. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's so longing to get married? And as you'd share with them and say, listen, I long to get married too. But I realize that having a, a spouse in my life is not going to solve that. That my longing for loneliness is my rule. It's really a longing for God. Or for those of you who are married, and you can talk to some of these single people and, and set their minds straight and say, listen, marriage does not solve that either. God, to find God. God is the only one who can change you. Having kids doesn't make you whole. Only God can make you whole. And as you sort of preach that to yourself and come with conviction from the Spirit, you go and you meet with people and you share with people and, and people go, that's right, man, having a man, having a wife, man, doesn't solve anything. And you go, that's right, because only God can solve things. And they'll look at you, what did you just say? Because only God can solve that. God wants us to be out in that world, engaging in the longings that are there within as well to connect with people, to share the good news that God himself, God himself is the answer to all things. But here's where things take a turn. I mean, at this point, I know many of you are tracking with me and many of you are saying, I like this so far. I can do this part. God loves you. God wants to... God wants to be in your life. God will solve your problems of money, of marriage, and, and, and make things that seem important, um, put them in per proper perspective, and God's love for you is all that you need. But he takes this turn that is important for us, and we as believers, we look at this and we cringe, but we can't cringe at this. Brothers and sisters, we can't cringe. We need to be winsome, but we can't cringe. And in the end, you know, however sweet we make it, it's still going to be a bitter pill for some to swallow. Look what he says in verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What does Paul do? He talks about God's righteousness. And he talks about sin. Oh man, Pastor John, I can't do that. I'll lose them. They'll check out. As soon as I talk about the fact that God has overlooked their sins, that somehow they're culpable of the state that they're in, that they will be judged one day for that state. I go there, this conversation stops. 
brothers and sisters. But if you stop there, you have not loved God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. Paul understands something that we need to understand, that the good news has to come with bad news first. The good news can't be good news without the bad news. The news of life can't be given if you're not told that there's the fact that you're dead. And he shares with him this, this blunt truth. All of you will be judged one day. God wants you to repent and turn back. Because the ultimate, per, ultimate problem with your heart and the ultimate problem with your unhappiness it's not that you're not getting what you want. It's that you're desiring the wrong thing. And that you desire simply God above all else and repent of having these wrong desires. But that's where you'll find life. This is difficult for us to share about Jesus. That he's come and died for our sins and has given us life. But you must, let me say that, you must share that. Be as winsome as you can. But in the end, if they look at you askance because of that, it's part of it. But if you never do that, you will never experience the joy. When someone hears it and their eyes open, their hearts soften, tears flow from their eyes, and they say, that's right. You're right. I need that God. I've been rebellious. I know that it's not the world's fault. It's my fault. And I know that I've been sinning against this God. I know it. The reason why many of us don't even experience that is because we don't even get to this. Because we fear the 99 rejections more than we fear that one person, than that one person who will come to know the Lord. Let me tell you, the weight of however many people who reject God on this side compared to one person who comes to know the Lord, this outweighs this. And God desires you and in our church to be a place where we can draw out the people of God to come and worship him. You know, living here in the South, being a pastor, and oftentimes I get into conversations with people, and a lot of them say, you know, that are Christians, they, they grew up here, and 
and as we engage more and more in Christian talk, I, I, I had this experience, um, not many times, but a good enough times where people will say to me, whoa, you know, let's not go in too deep about this. Or, whoa, let's not talk too much about this Jesus thing. You're, it's a little bit too intense for me. And my heart gets sad. It's like the greatest love in my life and the greatest love that should be in your life. You can't talk about it. It's okay. We, we talk about football. <laughs> we talk about other things. But in my heart, I'm dying. And he goes on, Paul, as he declares his salvation. He, he starts to talk. He doesn't even say the name Jesus yet, right? He says, um, uh, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed, which is Jesus, uh, and of this he has given assurance of all by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. He doesn't even get to his name yet. And then and the, what do the people do? When he started talking about the resurrection of the dead, they stopped him. Because in that time, they didn't believe in a resurrection. They thought it was, it was something that was just fanciful. Made no sense. When I, when I heard that, they were like, dude, we, we were tracking with you. What, resurrection of the dead? Are you kidding me? Get out of here. You will be mocked. The greatest compliment that you can ever, ever receive as a Christian from someone who does not like, who, who, who is antagonistic towards Christ, the greatest compliment that you could ever receive is this. It's, you know what? I really like you. I really like hanging out with you. I really like being around with you. I have so much fun with you. You're so interesting and, and, and gifted in many ways, but... I just don't like the fact that you love Jesus. That's the greatest compliment you can receive. If Jesus is the stumbling block for them, praise God. Another sobering thought here, and this is a sobering sermon, brothers and sisters. It's in verse 34. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. We don't get these, we don't get this mass conversion that we see in the beginning of Acts. We don't see thousands of people coming to know Jesus right away when Peter is preaching. We don't see the gloriousness of that, of, 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 of the beginning of Acts, when people would sell their goods and everyone would come together and love one another. We see Paul tarrying, preaching the gospel, teaching the unknown world. And how many people come to know him? Some men. Are you ready to be a Christian? Are you ready to follow Jesus? 
Are you ready to share the good news? This is sobering. If your goal is to please people, and the only measure you have for success is how many people come to know Jesus. But this news is good news. Listen, listen, please. This news is good news. If your sole goal is to please God and to hear God's voice say, well done, my good and faithful servant, and to see God's hand in your life working all things, for his glory, to see that in your suffering, even your rejection, that just as Christ was rejected, you were rejected, and you draw closer to the experiences of Christ and his love for you. Then in the end, no matter what happens, whether you are blessed, like in the beginning of Acts, of thousands of people come to know him, or like here in Paul, only a few. That all things are for the glory of God. And you rejoice. So people, don't give up. Please, don't give up. Share the good news. Don't give up. Find those points of contact. Don't give up. Be winsome in winning over people for Christ. Don't give up if people reject you. Don't give up. God is with you. You will see him. Don't give up because God will one day bless you with with someone coming to know him. And I will guarantee you it will be all worth it to see one or more human beings worship God with all their hearts and souls and mind right next to you. For the glory of our God. For the glory of his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no one like you. And Father, we do confess that we sort of treat this world like our own playground, Lord God, instead of seeing this world as that which is created by you. And that this created world, Lord, that everything around us, the world that's created, and the human beings that you've made, and even their creative creations, Lord, all are from you. And all are signs and signals to every single person on the face of this earth, that you are God, you exist, and that you wish to draw people to you, and that you deserve all glory and honor. Open our eyes to see that, Lord God. Open our eyes, Lord, to engage people in that wonderful, glorious story of redemption. Help us, Lord, not to simply coddle people and try to make people feel better, Lord, although we we need to, Lord, enter into their lives and be merciful, but help us also, Lord God, by your grace and mercy to share the good news that all people need to repent that we are culpable for our sins that we've sinned against you and you alone and that you need to change us and forgive us and Lord in this life Lord help us not to be too comfortable help us to see that the the world does not like us for the world hated you as well. And so, Lord, help us not to be conflict-averse. Help us, Lord, not to fear rejection. 
But teach us, Lord, slowly, step by step, to trust in you and to share the good news with all people. And Lord, be pleased to use us that more people can come to know Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.